The strange writing on this clay brick is known as cuneiform. Now, this script was used for hundreds of years in ancient Mesopotamia. Here, international presenter Gary Webster and travel with him to ancient Babylon and the island of Patmos to discover how ancient mysteries reveal the future. The Antichrist Agenda, Part 2. The, now we're going to talk about the greatest hoax uh, that has ever actually been foisted on our world. A hoax that has had incredible implications for the world today. Now, remember in our last session, we noticed that the little horn power, this is Daniel's Antichrist that the New Testament writers refer to. And it's the medieval or the Christian church of the Dark Age period, we call it, in history. Now, we saw that from six clear identifying characteristics. And I hope you saw that God does not want us to guess at stuff. God gives us the characteristics and they became obvious to us as we progress through time. By the way, prophecy is not given so we can be clever or something. Prophecy is given, Jesus said, so that when it comes to pass, you and I might believe there is a God who's in control and a God who cares. So the purpose of prophecy is to help our faith. And I hope that helps us in this matter this afternoon. Now, remember, we said we're not talking about a person. We're talking about a system or an institution. So let's move on now. We're going to look at the second part, the greatest hoax, history's greatest counterfeit, if you would. In other words, this is when history wasn't his story, meaning this is not what God wanted. It wasn't God's story, but it's history, not his story. I guess you've heard of the calf path or the cow path. Story has it that some centuries ago, a calf wandered through a forest this way and that way, all through the forest like a calf would wander. And finally, it came out after meandering for kilometers out on the other side of the forest. Huge forest, by the way. Well, the next day it happened that a man was going for a walk with his dog and they saw the calf path. So they followed this calf path as it winded through the forest and came out the other side miles away. A couple of days later, a man came along with his bullock and he followed the calf path. As the years wore on, the calf path became a track through the forest and eventually it became a Bullock cart pathway, in other words, a road. Centuries later, it became a major highway. And as people traveled this highway now by car, they wondered, why does the car, why does the trail go this way? Why does the road wander here and wander there? And nobody knew it was all because of a calf who centuries before had taken this journey. But everybody had followed the calf path not knowing why, but just doing what everybody else did. Now, of course, it's a story, but it does illustrate a point. It's very easy to follow what others do and have done for centuries. I want to talk about that calf path 
this morning in Christianity, this afternoon in Christianity, and that is this. How did the Sabbath change from Saturday to Sunday? Because if you were here last evening when we talked about the Sabbath and showed from Genesis to Revelation, beginning with God himself, and including the great writer Moses, including Ezekiel, including all of the prophets of the Old Testament, including Jesus Christ and the apostles and John in the Revelation, everybody kept the Sabbath. Then how come most Christians today keep Sunday? That should have been a question in our minds as we left last evening. And I'm sure that was in many of your minds last night. So how did the Sabbath change from Saturday To Sunday, that's the question we need to look at. And thank God, Daniel indicates for us in Scripture, in prophecy, that this would take place. Daniel, we go back to Daniel chapter 7. Notice this prediction, talking about the little horn or the Antichrist or the medieval church. It says, and he shall speak great words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and think to change what? Think to change times and laws. Somehow a power would arise, Daniel predicted, 2,500 years ago, that would not just change God's laws, but change his law that deals with time, he's indicating here. Now, there is only one commandment of God, one law of God that deals with time in the Bible, and that is the fourth commandment. The Sabbath is God's law concerning time, and Daniel is indicating that something's going to happen here, and he predicted this so long ago. In other words, he's predicting, or we're seeing, that the attempt to change the Sabbath was predicted 2,500 years ago. This was being implied in Daniel's statement. He will think to change the times and law of the Most High. Now, so how did it happen? How did this change come about? Well, let me tell you, it didn't happen overnight. Nothing happens overnight. You don't suddenly wake up one morning after you've been as the Christian church has been worshipping Jesus and the Old Testament people of God have been worshipping Jesus on Sabbath, God on the Sabbath, you don't suddenly wake up one morning and say, I think I'm going to change this thing. That doesn't happen like that. The change was gradual. It took a long time. We're now going to go to university history of Christianity and we're going to track this thing down and see what happened. We'll use the Bible as well as we seek to understand how this change came about. Now, as I said, the change was gradual. It took place over many centuries. This is how it took place as we see it from the Bible and from Christian history. Number one, the first century church, the church of the apostles, they kept the seventh day or the Saturday Sabbath. How do we know that? Well, we have a few examples. You remember Jesus is looking out across time from the Mount of Olives and he tells the disciples that he wants them to keep the seventh day Sabbath into the Christian period. This is before the cross, but he makes a prediction. He says these words as he looks at the destruction of Jerusalem. He says, pray that your flight may not be in when? The winter. Why would God not want them to have their flight in the winter? They would freeze. It gets very cold in the winter. It even snows in Palestine. It even snows in Jerusalem. Pray that your flight be not in the winter. I want you to have comfort. But also pray that your flight be not when? 
on the Sabbath. Why would God not want them to flee, have to flee on the Sabbath? They could flee on the Sabbath, but he didn't even want them to flee on the Sabbath. Why? Because they would miss all the great blessings, the great fellowship with God. God wants us to have even that day of fellowship. He says, pray that you don't have to flee on the Sabbath because as you're running for your life, your mind's really not where it, 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 where I want it to be in that sense. You've got to run for your life. Pray that you don't have to flee on the Sabbath, God says, so you don't miss the blessings. Now, here's another one. Not only did we see yesterday, last evening, that Jesus kept the Sabbath and Jesus said he was keeping the Sabbath even when he healed people. Now Jesus is predicting that I want you to keep the Sabbath even 40 years from now when Jerusalem's destroyed. Pray that your flight doesn't be on the Sabbath. Jesus, by the way, he rested in the tomb on the Sabbath. He died on Friday. He rested in the tomb on Sabbath, rose on Sunday morning. What about coming here to Antioch? Antioch in Turkey. It was the Apostle Paul who came here. Paul came to this place, a pagan city. You can see some of their pagan temples here, like the Temple of Augustus that you see over here, a place where paganism was rife. But to this place, Paul planted a Christian church. And you can even see one of these churches right here, right in uh, Antioch. Now, the Bible talks about what happened in Antioch when Paul came here. Notice what took place. So when the Jews went out of the synagogue, so when Paul came to Antioch, he preached to the Jews in the synagogue on the Sabbath. When the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Now, if Paul had known of a change from Saturday to Sunday, he would have said to them, no, don't come next Sabbath, come tomorrow morning. But he never said anything. The Bible says... On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God, Jew and Gentile, under Paul's feet on the Sabbath. Very clear that Paul kept the Sabbath himself. In fact, when we go to Thessalonica, you can visit the old city of Thessalonica. The archaeologists are excavating in this place, the ruins where Paul came to this city. And notice what happened here. The Bible says they, that's Paul and his friends, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, as his habit was, he went into them. And for three Sabbaths, he reasoned with them, it says, three Sabbaths, He reasoned with them from the Scriptures. Why didn't Paul do it for four Sabbaths? Because before he got to Sabbath number four, they ran him out of town for preaching Jesus. But Paul preached every Sabbath. He was here in Thessalonica. We could go to Corinth, where the Bible indicates Paul was here for a year and a half, and he preached every Sabbath in the city of Corinth, Acts chapter 18. Paul was a Sabbath keeper like his Lord Jesus Christ. He believed in this. Why? Because he knew that Jesus, the creator, is Jesus, the redeemer. So from Genesis to Revelation, the Sabbath is on the seventh day or what we call Saturday. This is the seventh day of the Bible. Now, the next thing that happened. So after the first century, we find some changes take place. First of all, both Saturday and Sunday were observed from the second century AD to the fifth century AD. Let me share with you one quote from ancient history regarding that. Notice 
what we have here from Sozman's ecclesiastical history. The people of Constantinople, Istanbul, and almost everywhere, says this writer, assemble together on the Sabbath as well as on the first day of the week. But notice what they add, which custom is never observed at Rome or Alexandria. Something's different in Rome and Alexandria. But almost everywhere else, the people are worshipping on both Sabbath and on Sunday. You see what's happened. Sabbath, the first century. Now we're taking on two days from the second to the fifth century. Number three, why did people start worshipping on Sunday now? Well, we find as we read the history, as study the history, that pagan sun worship actually led the church in Rome to change Sabbath to Sunday. This is what history indicates to us. I want you to come with me to the church of San Clemente in Rome. I love people bringing people to this church because underneath the archaeologists have been excavating this church. And way down underneath the ground, they have discovered a Mithraic altar. Now, Mithraism in the Roman world was the worship of the sun. They believed in worshipping on sun's day, the day of the sun. This was practiced in the Roman Empire in, in different ways, on the sun's day. And here under this church, we see an altar for Mithraism or sun worship. It was very much practiced, not just in Rome, but all through the Mediterranean region, sun worship was very big. In fact, even the Israelites also got into sun worship themselves. It was a tragedy. God did not want us to do this, but people began to do this, and it was also in Rome. Now, I want you to notice what history and, uh, tells us. Sabbath, a Hebrew word signifying rest, Sunday was a name given by the heathens or the pagans to the first day of the week. Why? Because it was the day on which they worshipped the sun. Now, even the church acknowledges this. Notice what the church says. The sun was a foremost god within heathendom, within paganism. There is in truth, says the church, something royal, something kingly about the sun, making it a fit emblem or symbol of Jesus, the son of justice. Hence, the church in those countries would seem to have said, Keep that old pagan name, Sunday. It shall remain consecrated and sanctified. And thus the pagan Sunday dedicated to Balder, that's the sun god, became the Christian Sunday sacred to Jesus. Now what really also happened, it seems from history, was this. In those early centuries, the Jews were being persecuted by the Romans because the Jews were always trying to rebel against the Romans, especially in Israel. Remember that, 66 AD, there was that great revolt. And the Romans, for them, the Jews were a constant thorn in the flesh. And there were times when the Romans persecuted the Jews. But as far as the Romans were concerned, the Jews and the Christians were the same because up until this point, they had the same book, the Bible, Christians used the Old Testament. The, in, the early, in the first century, there was the Bible. And, and then, of course, the disciples added some writings to it, so we have the Old and the New, but both are important. So as far as the Romans concerned, same scriptures, same day of worship early on. So 
the Christians in Rome who were right in the hotspot of the Roman Empire in order to distance themselves from the Jews to make a difference between them and the Jews, they started to institute some things to put a difference. And one of them was this Sunday. And this became a way to avoid persecution. The Romans don't see us as the same, you see. This was part of it. But one of the things was this, also in the minds of the Christians in Rome, was a noble idea, we want to help our pagan friends become Christians. So they compromised. Let's accept the day of worship. We're not worshipping the sun so much. We're worshipping the S-O-N, but we'll do it on the sun's day. So a, a, a noble Uh, objective but sadly they were putting away God's commandment to do this to try to help their pagan friends and this is part of what took place and so the Christian Sunday became sacred to Jesus the fourth thing that happened so why didn't they choose why didn't they choose Tuesday or Monday or Wednesday because here was something common with the pagans A day, the sun, well, not the S-U-N, the S-O-N. So Sunday became the day they chose because of its connections to help build bridges and so on and also to avoid persecution from the Romans. Government laws were made encouraging Sunday. So this is the next step. Now the Emperor Constantine, he becomes a, he makes Christianity the official religion of his empire. So he's the first one to make a law encouraging Sunday worship. Notice his law. On the venerable day of the sun, that's Sunday, let the magistrates and the people residing in the cities rest and let all the shops be closed. So here is a law now that the government is making to encourage Sunday worship in the Roman Empire. Number five, the church now, it forbade Sabbath worship. That's the next step. We move down through time. Notice this from one of the church councils. Christians shall not Judaize. What do they mean by that? They explain themselves. That is, they shall not keep the Sabbath and be idle on Saturday. They specifically spell that out. But the Lord's Day meaning Sunday, because now they've changed the name of the Lord's Day. It's not for Sabbath now, it's referring to Sunday. We saw yesterday that in the Bible, the Lord's Day is clearly the seventh day, the Sabbath. Jesus said the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. All right, so on Saturday, but the Lord's Day they shall especially honour, and as being Christians shall, if possible, do no work on that day. If, however, they are found Judaizing, meaning keeping the Sabbath, they shall be shut out from Christ. Now, you think of that, my friends, this afternoon. Here is a commandment given by God, written with the finger of God on the Ten Commandments, twice by God himself, no less than the Lord Jesus Christ, who is also God Almighty. Jesus, God the Father, kept the first Sabbath in Eden and invited man to. So they were Sabbath keepers. Jesus wrote that commandment down. Moses kept it. Paul keeps it. The, Jesus wants us to keep it in these disciples. Flee. Don't flee on the Sabbath if you can avoid it. And then he also, John keeps the Sabbath. And sadly now we come to a point in history around 500, 400 AD, where if you keep the Sabbath, you are shut out from Christ. What a sad slipping down, you notice, from God keeping the Sabbath so that now if you keep the Sabbath, you are shut out from Christ himself. This was a sad picture that we're seeing right here. 
Now, we come to the church's own teaching on this matter. Let's notice, this is the catechism, and it's in a question and answer form. And so we hear questions and we see answers to questions. Here's the question. Which is the Sabbath day in the catechism? Answers given here is Saturday is the Sabbath day. Well, that brings another question. Why then do we observe Sunday instead of Sabbath? Notice the answer that is given in the catechism. Because the church transferred the solemnity from Saturday to Sunday. The clear teaching of the church is that the church was the one who changed the solemnity from the Sabbath to the Sunday or Saturday to Sunday. Now, this is not just in the catechism. Here is Cardinal James Gibbon. We noticed this man last week, a a cardinal in the church. This cardinal said that baptism was practiced in the church till 1200 A.D., We saw that statement last week. Now, notice what he says about this matter. Cardinal James Gibbon says these words. You may read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, and you will not find a single line authorizing the sanctification of Sunday. Not a line in the Bible about it. The scriptures, he says, enforce the religious observance of Saturday. Now, he's a cardinal in the Church of Rome making it very plain that this came from the church, but it's not found in Scripture. Notice what the Anglicans also say about this matter. And where are we told in the Scriptures, says this Anglican writer, that we are to keep the first day at all? Where is that in the Bible? We are commanded to keep the seventh day, that means in the Bible, but we are nowhere commanded to keep the first day. The reason why we keep The first day of the week holy instead of the seventh is for the same reason that we observe many other things. Not because the Bible, but because it says the church has enjoined it. These people are right. It's the church's idea, but it's not coming from the scriptures from the Bible. This is the clear indication of not only history, but current church teaching on this matter. Now, here's the question this afternoon that we need to answer in our minds. The question is this. Why would Satan, because he's ultimately the one behind all this, why would he want to change the Sabbath from Saturday to Sunday? What would be his raison d'etre? What would be his reason for doing this? Well, you will remember that ultimately the one behind Antichrist on earth is no less than the devil himself. He hates Christ with a passion. He cannot tolerate Christ. He, that's why he crucified Christ through the Romans and the Jews. It was his idea. He hates Christ. He has for centuries. Now, in one swift move to change the Sabbath, you are going to get at Christ. Because you remember, the Sabbath itself reminds us that Jesus is Lord God Almighty. It reminds humans of that fact. Jesus, or the commandments say, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of who? The Lord God himself, the Lord your God. That word capital L-O-R-D means Jehovah. The one who never had a beginning, who never has an end, who is self-existent. That's the one who gave the Sabbath. That's the creator God. Jesus took that title and applied it to himself. He said, the son of man, me, Jesus said, I am Lord 
of the Sabbath even. In other words, that Lord in the Sabbath, that's me. That Jehovah, that's me. Jesus claimed to be Jehovah. So if Satan can take away the Sabbath, he can actually start to undermine who Jesus is and what he has done and what he's doing. This is an attack on Christ himself. To attack the Sabbath is to attack the one behind the Sabbath. You see, the Sabbath that we saw last evening reminds us that our roots go back to God. We are not an accident. We are the product. We are the children of God, made in the image of God. And that same God did not run away to some back parts of the universe and leave us to it. That same God is the one who provides for all of our needs today. And that same God, Jehovah God Almighty, took on human form and he went to an old rugged cross where we should have been. And he redeemed us. That's what the Sabbath teaches us. So if Satan can somehow remove the Sabbath by changing the day, he will start to undermine the reasons for the Sabbath. And at his aim is to undermine Christ. That's what this thing is all about. This whole issue is to somehow take away from Jesus that which really belongs to him. So people, their concept of who Jesus is and what he's done and what he's doing and what he's yet to do will become less and less apparent to them. Christ is our rest and the devil does not want you and me to rest in Jesus like that. That's why Jesus, by the way, said these words, and it was a Sabbath when he said them, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavily laden. You know, we have many burdens, don't we? We have many worries in life, many stresses, many anxieties. That which is the biggest thing to bear is sin. And Jesus says, Come to me, all of you who have burdens, whatever those burdens are, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. That's what the human heart longs for. And this is what Satan was seeking to undermine. He, By taking away the Sabbath, he's going to rob people of what Christ is to them. Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you, said the apostle Peter. That's Jesus. Now, that's why Satan decided to attack this, because he could pull so much in just one hit. And do you know, my friends, today, the reason we have evolution rampant in this world today is because Christianity forgot the Sabbath. Let's put it, let's lay the axe to the root of the tree. If we as Christians had to remember the Sabbath, let me tell you, there would not have been an opportunity for evolution to get a toehold. But today, as man have forgot the Sabbath, now they've even forgotten that God made the world. That's where we are today in this thing. You see, once we turn aside from God's word, little by little, the dominoes fall down and we end up where once we all believed that God was the creator, but today we do not even believe there's a God. What a tragedy. What a smart move. No wonder this being. And sadly, if Christianity had remembered the Sabbath, there would probably not hardly be this in the world today. 
The world would be constantly being pointed to the creator God. And I'm so glad that God is doing that through his three angels' messages, calling men and women back to these great commandments. That's why God's final message at such a time as this, where the world doesn't even believe in a God, let alone a creator God, that's why God at such a time calls the world back to these great truths. John, in that first angel's message, here it is again, I saw another angel. I just love that verse. Another angel. Everywhere in Revelation, an angel here, an angel there, an angel there. Why? Because for God so loved the world. I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven. He's having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, every tribe, every tongue and every person. This is for the world saying with a loud voice, fear God, meaning love and respect God, give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of waters. What is it telling us? It is telling us worship that God who made everything, that God who fashioned the world with his own hands and then spread out those hands, those same hands on an old rugged cross for his children that he made. But yea, the world says he's not our God. He never made us. We're just an accident of time and chance. All the heart of God must ache. Those hands that fashioned the world were nailed to a cross. That God is calling us back through the Sabbath. Jesus is your creator world. He is the Lord God Almighty. And that God died in your place. So I guess the question for us today, as we sit here, is what will we follow? Who will we follow? Will we follow the calf path that everybody's been on for centuries, not realizing where it came from? Will we follow the calf path or will we follow the word of God? That's, I guess, the issue. Well, that is the issue. Either we follow the Bible and God's word or we follow tradition, the teachings of human beings that actually conflict with God's word on this very issue. What will be your guide and my guide in life? Will it be Christ or will it be church leaders, whoever they are? What will be our source of instruction? The Bible and Christ or church leaders and traditions? Someone says this afternoon, and it's a good question, but really does it matter? Is it that big a deal? My friend, if it matters to God, it must matter to us, his children. And it really matters to God. I want you to notice the principle that Jesus shared on this issue right here when he was here on earth. Jesus said these words. He said, and in vain, that means worthlessly, uselessly, in vain they worship me. Why is their worship vain? How come it's a waste of time? He said, because teaching as doctrines the commandments of men, so that commandments of men become the doctrines teaching as doctrines the commandments of men, for laying aside the commandment of God, he said, you hold the tradition of men. In other words, Jesus says that's vain worship. When God says do this, and man's traditions say do this, and don't do that, and yet we hold to the traditions of man, and do not follow the word of God, he says that worship is a waste of time. That worship is useless. 
It's not going anywhere. Now, those are strong words, I know, but they are the words of Jesus because this matters to Jesus. Why does it matter to him? Because we are his children and he wants us to remember every Sabbath, I made you. You are not an accident. You are valuable. I made you in my image. You did not come from the monkey. You came from the hand of God. Now, the Bible puts it this way. When you go to the genealogies of Jesus and you trace back those genealogies, it goes like this. Jesus was the son of Joseph and so on, meaning in his line. Joseph was the son of, and that man was the son of, and Abraham was the son of Terah, and Terah was the son of. And when you get to Adam, it says, and Adam was the son of God, not the son of a monkey. Now, either we take the Bible as it reads, or we follow what man teaches. But God has the high ground in this book. We came from God. Adam was the son of God, just like Abraham was the son of Terah, meaning he came from him. So Adam came direct from God. That's the high ground. You and I are valuable to God. Now, what does God expect me to do, you and I to do, if perhaps we've never known this before? And of course, that will be the case. What does God expect of us? Well, let me tell you one thing, God, he overlooks our times of ignorance. That's the way Paul puts it here. Paul is talking. I want you to notice what what uh, what. He says, he says, truly, these times of ignorance, God overlooked. In other words, God doesn't judge us on what we don't know, but he judges us on what we do with what we know. God says, he says, truly, in these times of ignorance, God overlooked. But now, once we know, he commands all men everywhere to repent. To say, Lord, I was going in the wrong direction. I didn't realize that it was ignorant. But Lord, I need to turn away from that. Because he has appointed a day on which he will judge, he says, he will judge the world. Now, one of the commandments that God is going to measure us all by, because in the judgment, the measuring line is the Ten Commandments. And one of those commandments is the Sabbath, you see. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. So Paul is saying to his friends in Athens, he's saying, now listen, you worship those gods in ignorance, but now you know the difference. Now God commands us to repent and to do the right thing. And that's what God is saying here. Why are we, God doesn't judge us because we didn't know or our parents didn't know. God, God understands that. But once we know, that's a different story. He commands all men to repent because he is a day on which he will judge the world, the Bible says. So who will we worship? Who will you worship? Who will I worship? That's the question. The real issue was, will I follow Christ or will I follow Satan in this matter? I believe, as I've come to know many of you, that your response is the same of Peter. When he was pulled before a law court of the Jewish people and they said, Peter, shut up. Don't talk about this Jesus. Don't mention this Jesus. Peter said these words. We ought to obey God rather than men. That's the high ground that God wants of you and I to follow. You know, I love the story of the history of the Christian church. 
It's full of tremendous encouragement because down through the centuries, all down through time, there have been godly men and women who have stood for the right, though, as it were, the heavens fell. They would do the right thing because it was God's word. One such man was a devout priest in the church of Rome. He loved the church. His name was Martin Luther. Martin Luther was traveling home one day as a young student when a bolt of lightning struck him nearby, near, near to him, and he, he said, so help me God, I'll become a monk. He got petrified out of his brain as he was walking along. And so he went into a monastery because he thought that's the way to get right with God. That's the way to get close to God. And he did everything he could to follow God, but he found no peace of mind. In fact, on one occasion, he confessed his sins for six hours to a priest. The poor priest must have been dead on his feet listening to all that stuff. And the priest said to him, his name was Stauput, Stauput said to Martin Luther, he said, Martin, God's not angry with you. You're angry with God. You fear God like God's a monster. God's not like that. But Martin Luther could not get this idea out of his mind that how could God forgive all his sins? And he tried many ways to get rid of his sins. And fortunately, Staupitz was a godly priest, and a man of God. And he said to Luther, he said, Luther, I'm going to give you an assignment in this university. He said, I'm going to get you to teach the Bible. Because Staupitz knew if Luther had to teach the Bible, he'd have to read the Bible. And if he read the Bible, he would encounter God in his word. So Luther was given the assignment, and as Luther began to read the Bible, he began to see that Jesus Christ was a loving person, and God was not a God to be feared, but a God to be loved. His whole idea changed. You see, because people were not reading the Word of God, they feared God. As soon as he began to read the Word of God and realize what sort of a God he was, now Luther's life began to change. Martin Luther... um, As he studied the Bible, he came across this important verse in Paul's writings, for by grace are you saved through faith. He thought it was by human effort, but he read not of works, lest anyone should boast. And Martin Luther began to realize that if he just accepted Christ and came just as he would, God would change him from the inside out. God would take his sins. God would accept him just as he was in Christ Jesus. And peace began to come to this great priest of God. He decided to take a trip to Rome. And so he came here, which was regarded in the Dark Ages, the Middle Ages, as sort of the holy city back in the medieval church. He came here to visit holy places. And one of the places he visited was St. John of Laterano, where these holy stairs are found. You can still see these stairs today because it said, tradition has it, that these were the very steps that Jesus went up on his trial before Pilate. And an angel flew them from Jerusalem to Rome. That's the tradition. And so people come to this city and have been coming for centuries, feeling that if they climb these steps on their knees, they will gain favor with God and get X number of years out of purgatory or whatever it is. And so many devout, sincere people climb these steps. I've watched them. 
Well, Martin Luther joined this crowd one day and he was on his knees climbing these steps, thinking that if he climbed these steps, he would gain favour with God when a voice spoke to him in his head, a verse of scripture that he had read. And these were the words that came to his mind as he's climbing those stairs. The just shall live by faith. In other words, those who are righteous by faith, they will have eternal life. That's what this text means. And Martin Luther thought, what am I doing here? And he jumped off his knees and he fled that place never to do it again because he knew that God accepts us through Christ alone. Well, Luther came back to Germany and at this time, as he was the priest of the church there in Wittenberg, he heard of a priest who was running around the countryside of Germany selling pieces of paper called indulgences. Now, the man's name was Tetzel, and he was selling these pieces of paper because people would give money for these pieces of paper, and they were using that money to build St. Peter's Cathedral in Rome. And the Bishop of Rome was encouraging Tetzel to do this. And people were coming to Martin Luther and saying, Luther, I don't need to uh, confess my sins to God because I bought this piece of paper that says that my sins are forgiven, not only the ones yesterday, but the ones today and the ones tomorrow, so I'm okay. When Martin Luther heard that, he said, what sort of nonsense is this? And he was furious, and he wrote 95 things down, 95 reasons down. Jesus is the only way to have forgiveness and salvation. And he took those things that he wrote down on that piece of paper and he carried them to this church here. Well, not the church back in Luther's day because it got destroyed and they built another one that looks, you know, pretty old, but not as quite as old as back in Luther's time, and he nailed them to the door of the church because that's the way you sent news in those days. You nailed it to the church door and people read it from the door of the church. And when he nailed that thing to the door with those 95 reasons about Jesus being the only way, those things were copied and sent all over Europe. And the Bishop of Rome got hold of this thing and he was furious because he could read the writing on the wall. If people thought that only Jesus could save them, then what would come of his, 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 his uh, idea of raising money to build his great cathedral there in Rome? And he was hopping mad. And so he wanted this man put to death because he was going to hinder money flowing into his revenue. Now, Martin Luther was eventually called by the emperor, uh, whose name was Charles I. He was eventually called here to Worms to give an account for what he was doing. Many, many people, leaders, political leaders, business people, young students were beginning to embrace the teachings of the Bible. And so they had a showdown here at Worms. Great prelates came, church leaders, political leaders came because the church leaders wanted this man destroyed. They wanted him killed, this faithful priest of God. They did not want this teaching from the Bible. Well, Luther stood to his feet eventually, and this is what Martin Luther said. He was told, you give up your ideas. You just accept what the church says. You give up your ideas and what you're going to say, listen, I can't. This is from the Bible. I want you to notice what this man said. I think this is a great thing that all of us should follow this godly priest in the church of Rome in. Unless he said, I am convinced by the testimony of the scriptures. Unless you can show me from the Bible, he said to these men, 
or by clear reason. He said, for I do not trust either in the Pope or in the councils alone. Since it is well known, he said, that they have often erred and contradicted themselves. He said, no, I am bound by the scriptures. I have quoted and my conscience is captive, he said, to the word of God. I cannot, said Luther, and I will not recant. I will not give up my beliefs. I will recant anything not recount anything, since it is neither safe nor right to go against conscience. May God help me. Amen. And he sat down. Now, my friends, this afternoon, you and I would do well to take a leaf from his book because Jesus is coming very soon. We've been noticing that and we're going to see it even more as we move into tomorrow's program on the ghosts. And as we see next week, we are going to see that we are on the knife edge of eternity. Jesus Christ is soon to come and you and I need to take a stand on God's word like this man. What a tremendous example for all of us. I'm going to stand on the word of God. Jesus himself took that stand when Satan came to tempt him and to turn him from going down the path to the cross eventually. Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Thank God for a godly priest in the church of Rome who took a stand. And God wants you and I to take a stand for him on his word today. Let's bow together in prayer as we close. Father in heaven, thank you for the story of Martin Luther, this godly priest in the church of Rome, who with many others took a stand on the word of God. Father, for us, we've been looking last evening and today about a a commandment of God that has been laid aside, a command of God which... When it was laid aside, we have seen the ruinous effects in society today of doing that because most people today don't even believe in God, let alone a creator God. As we turn away from the command of God, little by little, that is eaten into the very fabric of society. Lord, may we take a stand in our life, in our home, to turn things in the right direction, just like this man Luther who said, I will not budge. I will follow God. If God is speaking to you today, and some of you may be prepared today to say, God, I am prepared to follow you on this matter. As every head is bowed and every eye is closed, if you'd like to say, God, I want to follow your word in this matter about the Sabbath, just raise your hand quietly this afternoon. If God is speaking to you and saying, listen, it's time you made a decision. You can see what is right. Take a stand now. My friends, it's always best when we see the truth to follow the truth now because that's the best time. When God's Spirit speaks to us, that's the time to make a decision because Jesus said the Spirit blows today and the wind blows, but somewhere tomorrow it's somewhere else. God is speaking to you. Just raise your hand and say, God, I want to follow your word on this matter. I want to be faithful to you just like Martin Luther was faithful to you in his issue. Lord, thank you for being with us today. Thank you that we understand where this thing came from. Sadly, the Christian church itself, as it departed from the word of God, this is what happened. Lord, may we be faithful 
In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to Ancient Mysteries with Pastor Gary Webster on Faith FM. Join us again same time next week to discover more ways in which the history of our world confirms the Bible and its messages of the past and future. Right around Australia, you're listening to Faith FM. Faith FM.